actually. Yeah, you can go for it. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I hope you're well and healthy in this COVID times. I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Matthew Booth. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? No, all good. Thanks. And yourself, Abdul. Thanks for the invite. I'm good. Uh, no, it's a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for taking the time to be here. I just want to put some a bit of history on our guest today. Matthew was born in Fishhook. Uh, his dad, Paul, was a semi-pro footballer and an engineer at the Cape Town City Council. Matthew began his pro career in 96 for Cape Town Spurs, where he moved to Mamalodi Sundowns between 98 and 2002. He was loaned to Wimbledon, and then in 2002, he made his move to Russia to play for teams such as Rostov and later Krylia Sovetov. Booth retired from pro on 19th of June 2014, even though they offered him a contract, he decided to hang up his boots. Matthew featured in the 2010 World Cup after missing out on the 2002 World Cup due to injury. Matthew has achieved great success as he's won the Bob Saves Super Bowl Cup with the Cape Town Spurs, the two-time PSL winner, a Rothmans Cup winner, Charity Spectacular Cup winner, and another Bob Saves Super Bowl with Sundowns. He has also won Ajax Cape Town Playoff the season in 2013. And uh, is there anything that I've missed on your amazing... <laughs> No, no, you've done your research very well, uh, bringing back memories. Uh, yeah, and no, I think you've, you've covered it all there. Okay, no, great. So, Matthew, I just want to get straight into it. Uh, I, the first question, I remember when I was watching you play, uh, my dad and I would watch the Bafana games and I'd hear the, the stadium go, booth. And then I'd ask him, I was young that time, so I'd ask my dad, I'm like, is he, why are they booing him? Like, the game just started, there's no mistakes, nothing. <laughs> And then he, he said, no, it could be they were calling out your surname. So I just wanted to clarify, was it a boo or was it booth? And how was that relationship <laughs> with the fans? Yeah, so like, most people who follow local uh, South African football world would have realized um, that the fans were just simply screaming my name, my <laughs> surname. Um, you know, uh, guys like Mark Fish, uh, uh, the late uh, John Shoes, Moshweu, uh, Lucas Khadebe have all had that um, honor, you know. Um, I just suppose I had an easy surname to to shout. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, it took a lot of explaining uh, when it came to the foreign journalists uh, in 2009 Confederations Cup and 2010 World Cup. I spent an hour and a half talking to journalists after each game, explaining to them the situation, you know. Because, um, of course, a lot of foreign journalists and foreign fans uh, thought that they were booing me. Um, but, yeah, uh, luckily that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm not the only one that was confused. The uh, journalists also had it wrong. <laughs> okay, then... Uh... I understand that your dad was an engineer and uh, coming from a strong academic family background, how tough was it for you to pursue the football career? Yeah, so um, he actually wasn't, um, he wasn't agreed. Um, he, he left school and enjoyed the uh, Cape Town City Council and kind of learned his trade and he spent uh i think nearly 40 years at the, the city of cape town and basically became 
an engineer through experience, you know, in the roads department. Um, so I wouldn't say my family is from an academic background. Um, they were certainly a typical working class um, family in the beginning. And the fact that uh, both my parents worked very hard and made a lot of sacrifices for the three children, um, we eventually became what you probably might call a, a middle-class um, family. And um, they are now both retired and uh, uh, spending all of my inheritance. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's basically the story. But, you know, from my dad's point of view, he was the one that really drove my football. Uh, he was a very keen footballer and his three brothers were also good amateur footballers. And so it was kind of natural for me to follow in his uh, footsteps. Uh, but at school, I played rugby, cricket, table tennis, tennis, you name it. You know, I think in South Africa, we're quite lucky because we have a nice climate. Our schools generally um, offer a wide variety of sports. So we, we actually generate quite uh, holistic athletes, you know. Um, I think Australia is another uh, country. Um, the, the states in the south in the USA also, um, you know, to a similar extent, generate good, good all-round athletes. Okay, so it was uh, football ran in the, in the veins. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Okay, the next question. Uh, how important is mental health in, uh, in sport generally, not just in football? It's extremely important, uh, but one of the many aspects that isn't, hasn't been given uh, more attention to. Um, we, in, in, I can speak from a football uh, point of view, uh, our industry is very macho. It's very uh, manly and, and uh, also kind of boyish and childish, you know, at the same time. So we don't talk about mental health issues. <laughs> um, we don't uh, speak about it, um, especially in, with some of the cultures within South Africa. It's an absolute no-no. Um, and that's got to change. Um, so slowly but surely, I, I feel that it is changing, you know, um, but ultimately players must realize that uh, the business people who own football clubs are not going to spend money on bringing a psychiatrist or a psychologist and offering a service to the players. Um, the players themselves must um, go to the union or go to organizations like SADAG um, and, and, and uh, take up the opportunity to, to, to interact with those types of organizations so that they can get some relief from uh, any uh, mental health issues. And they are, they are out there. Uh, I've had colleagues who have um, uh, committed suicide, you know, uh, or passed away in, in very dire um, situations. So it is a, it is a huge issue and it's not spoken enough about, it's not spoken um a lot about you know it's 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 a it's a, it's a huge issue yeah. okay yeah it sounds sounds hectic uh 
I wanted to find out why did you not renew your contract when you when you retired? Like, what was the motivation behind hanging up the boots? Because you were offered on your retirement, they said, "Yeah, sign another," and you're like, "Nah, enough." Yeah, so um, it's a very difficult situation to be in um, because you know, in the back of my mind, I. I that, that particular season, my last season at Wits, uh, Wits, Wits um, I had signed a, a one plus one, which is a, a one-year contract with an option to extend. And I ended up sitting on a bench, I think four or five occasions. Um, and I wasn't used to that. You know, I, I was never really, a, I was never a bench player in my career. So there were signs that uh, the following season, I probably would sit even more. And I didn't want to, to leave uh, the game um, with, with people perceiving me as being a bench player um, because people have very short memories. So I wanted to, to go out while I was still playing uh, regularly. But more importantly, um, I had, had a number of... I was actually quite fortunate with injuries, but I'd had a, a one in particular that was really bugging me for the last um, uh, three or four years of my career. It was my left ankle. And ultimately that made me decide to retire because, you know, you still want some sort of quality of life, uh, even in retirement. I still want to play social football, you know, run around in the garden with my boys. Um, so that, that was to, to a larger degree why the reason why I, I, I stopped and retired early. Okay. Okay. So it's, I see. It. And then uh, your experience in Russia, how different was it to South Africa apart from the weather, like in terms of football? Yeah. Um, the weather was obviously a big aspect. A lot of people ask me about that. Um, you know, they, they, when I was playing in Russia, their season ran from March until November and being in the Northern hemisphere, their winters are really bad um, during uh, November, December, January, February. And, and during December, we were back here in South Africa on holiday. And for January and February, we were doing our preseason camps um, in places like Dubai or Spain or Portugal, Cyprus, you name it. And then our season would start in March. Uh, and in March, Depending on where you were in Russia, uh, it would be on average minus 10, minus 15 degrees, uh, mm. still snowing. Um, you know, so we would have to wear our gloves, uh, our, our like headbands. Um, a lot of players wore tights. Um, you would have to rub your toes uh, with deep heat so that you wouldn't lose feeling. <laughs> but, <laughs> But as, you, as the season progressed, it became warmer and warmer. And, and in June, July, and August, it was actually very hot. It was like a South African summer, you know, 30, 35 degrees. And we would play through that. Um, and then in November, it would be, again, you know, minus 5, minus 10. Our season would end, and then we would come back to South Africa. Um, so we we missed the worst of the weather. Um, I mean, in... in January, December, January, you can get to minus 30, minus 35. You know, you don't want to be in Russia during that time. <laughs> um, but culturally, uh, I, I, was, I was fascinated with their culture. 
uh, I learned a language which I think any anybody that that goes overseas and earns a salary uh, in a in a foreign country should should definitely make an effort to learn the local language to learn the local culture. Uh, that's very important because it it, it endears you to um, the the local population. You know, and when you're playing football, that's very important because especially when you're going through a bit of a bad patch, you're not playing well, the team's not playing well. You know, you tend to rely on the fans to get behind you. And, and, and so that's a very important point that I always, or piece of advice that I give to uh, players that do go overseas. So to connect with the fans through their culture and stuff so that you have some sort of connection with them in the rough stages. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when you, and when you need it the most, it, it comes to the fore. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's great. Uh, and, uh, Coming from South Africa and going to that weather, did your body take time to adjust? Uh, did the bones <laughs> click a bit, or what was the how was the adapting process? Yeah, so I mean, uh, it, it probably helped that I'm I'm from uh, European descent, uh, so for me it wasn't it wasn't so bad. I mean, some of my colleagues. Um, who who came from from who hailed from the, the African continent? I think they they really struggled initially, you know, um, <laughs> but but ultimately, you know, it's 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 part of character building, um, and physiologically, you you do adjust. It, it's normal to adjust. Some guys just took longer than others, but I didn't have a problem with it. Okay, no, that's great, man, and. Uh... Yeah, as a professional footballer, what's your top five qualities, in your opinion, that you feel footballers should have to have a successful career? Yeah, so um, a, a piece of advice that I, that I always give youngsters or, you know, uh, parents will often come up to me and say, you know, how can my son or daughter become a professional footballer? You know, and it's a very, very difficult question to answer. Um, but, but, I always reckon that the the talent pool and the, the is very uh, it's it's very big in South Africa, and it's very tight. So you'll have, say for example, in a in a PSL team, you'll have maybe uh, two or three right wingers who who are very similar uh, in 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 talent and skill, and they offer the team. Um, something very similar it's difficult to differentiate between the three and and often what will differentiate them is if one of them is more determined or arrives on time for training uh, stays behind after training to do more work um, listens to instructions and then implements them on the field, <clears throat> uh, perseveres. So in other words, if something goes wrong or he gets an injury or he's on the bench, he perseveres and he's, he's determined to prove the coach wrong and he then works harder and, and gets into the team, into the starting lineup. So those types of characteristics are, are, are things that really put you above the rest of the crowd. Um, and that that's besides the technical aspects of being a good footballer, 
I think those characteristics are um, sometimes even more important too. Like a Cristiano Ronaldo is an example. Like his determination and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, no. Yeah, I mean, when, when people compare him to Messi, uh, I should imagine that Messi uh, was naturally uh, more skillful and, and talented per se. But Ronaldo was, was also very technically, is very technically gifted. But he spent a lot more time, I feel, doing extra at training. Um, and so there's that great debate between the two of them, uh, but they're both very different uh, in, in makeup. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing what they both have accomplished. And uh, what was the best piece of advice that was given to you, like that's helped you along your journey? Um, well, I, I got a lot of pieces of advice. Um, the one that sticks out in mind was was probably when I when I went on one of my first um, trials for Western Province uh, when I was maybe twelve or thirteen years old, and my dad told me to wear uh, pink um, socks, <laughs> uh, pink uh, football socks, um, so that I stood out, even if I had a a bad uh, trial. You know, they would still remember me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, uh, you know, on a serious note, um, I think uh, you know I'd been involved. I'd been involved in a number of um, uh, court battles, and and I've I've always been quite outspoken um, in my career. Sometimes to my detri detriment um, about players' rights, about my own uh, <laughs> rights and situation. And so my dad and my, my mom were always uh, encouraging me to do the right thing, you know, um, and to continue to, 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 to have my voice heard. Um, especially when I first started playing, uh, club owners were very, very dominant. Um, and so it was a period in, in South African football which uh, changed quite dramatically. Um, for example, uh, uh, before 2001, if you signed a contract uh, and that contract ended, you, was, you were still owned by the football club. You were still owned by the business uh, person who owned the club, um, basically like a, a modern-day slave. you know. And then um, in 2001, there was a ruling... Uh, in the in the labor court, which changed that uh, completely, and um, just like in Europe, um, players became uh, free agents uh, once your contract ended. So, I think during that period or during my during that time, uh, my folks gave me some very sound advice in in regard to to my basic uh, human rights, which I will I will value for a long time. Sure. So South Africa has come a long way in terms of uh, the labor law and stuff with the football community and everything. Back then, you guys didn't have that much support. No, no. And, and you know, uh, footballers generally come from, uh, you know, lower LSMs, uh, working class, poor backgrounds. So you can imagine how um, a wealthy business person would take advantage of that. You know, uh, somebody perhaps who's not very well educated and um, 
even still today, you get players who who will get a contract put in front of them and they will sign it, you know, without reading it, without understanding the consequences, you know. So it's a constant um, education uh, process, uh, but but players are changing. They're becoming more intelligent, and, you know, on and off the field, which is good to see. Okay, good stuff, man. Thanks. Uh, and then uh, this question is from my dad. He wanted to know who is your football hero when you grew up? Yeah, so um, when I when I was, you know, when I start, start first started to to watch football on TV, uh, I didn't watch a lot of uh, local football. Um, I, I watched um, quite a bit of Liverpool because at that stage they were the most successful team in the um, in the in the EPL, and I was fascinated by uh, John Barnes, um, <laughs> left winger. Um, um, uh, what a what a cultured left foot, and he was just so silky smooth. Uh, <clears throat> the way that he would uh, dribble and take players on, and he would always have a finished product. You know, the the end product would always be a good one. Uh, he would very rarely waste uh, a good cross or a pass, and so I always watched him. But that Liverpool team was very special. Um, so I would probably say John Barnes, and then. And then when I started to to realize that I could make it as a professional here in South Africa, I kind of was rather angry that uh, not more local uh, fans followed local football, <laughs> and so um, I, I kept it a secret. You know, I didn't I didn't tell anybody that I followed Liverpool, um, and because I wanted people to come and watch our games, you know. Um, and then during that point, during that stage, I watched a lot of uh, Lucas Kadebe, Neil Tori, Mark Fish, um, three very different uh, centre-backs. And I tried to uh, cherry-pick different characteristics from each of those players' um, qualities. Um, and in 2001, I went, to, I went on trial to West Ham, um, and I was very impressed with their whole setup. Um, and it was probably the closest that I ever got to to signing for an EPL club. So since 2001, I've been a West Ham fan and we've uh, had a great season this last season. So I'm very, very happy. <laughs> My dad's an avid Liverpool fan, so he's going to be thrilled with that answer. And uh, he calls me Boy Barnes after John Barnes. So <laughs> he's also going to be happy to know that's your hero growing up. And um, Matthew, I just wanted to know your next five years. I mean, you've achieved your football dream and everything. What's the next five years like for for you? What's your new dreams and goals? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, I would love to put uh, a lot of effort into, into giving back uh, to the community that gave me so much. Um, so I'm part of two, uh, uh, an NPO. Um, the Booth Education and Sports Trust, and also the South African Football Legends, which is an NPC. So that's part of my give back. Um, Business-wise, um, for the last uh, four or five years, uh, I've been involved with an artificial grass company. Um, so we do a lot of work around around the country, and that's been fascinating because um, just purely because of the the, the developmental uh, advantages of of artificial grass and the water savings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and then I've been on two uh, tribunals, uh, tribunal panels, um, 
And again, learning about uh, an organization's constitution, the rules, and, and being on a disciplinary committee panel um, for the South African Institute for Drug-Free Sports. Uh, those are the guys that test the athletes and also for the, the Premier Soccer League's disciplinary committee. Um, it, it's been great. You know, it's, it's, those are the things that have been keeping me out of trouble. And um, so it's always a constant uh, a learning process, which uh, keeps me out of trouble and on my toes. <laughs> No, that's great. Man. Uh, and uh, could you give me advice, like in your honest opinion, on, uh, I mean, I've spoken to you on the podcast uh, with Lauren and Coach G, you are aware of my aspirations and stuff, on a way of moving forward to get an opportunity to prove myself. Uh, like I, I like how you mentioned about Teko Mudise being 26 and getting his uh, shot. So that gives me a lot of hope. But uh, I'm kind of, I've, okay. There's some days I'm, I wake up with, with ideas and there's other days I wake up stuck and I don't know how to maneuver. And I'd like uh, advice from someone that's walked down this journey before. Well, look, um, everybody has their own journey. Um, I think uh, what you've also got to understand is, you know, not only those um, uh, characteristics, which I already mentioned, you've got to keep working on them um, just like you would do tapping a ball or crossing at training, uh, you've got to work on those characteristics as well. Um, especially perseverance. And perseverance comes with the realization that um, every fan, and more importantly for you, every coach uh, has, has a very subjective opinion on, on you as a player. Um, so, for example, there's 16 head coaches in the PSL. I can guarantee you that nearly everyone will have a different opinion or report on you having watched you. Um, so, so should you, should you hit a, a speed bump, just re, just bear that in mind, you know, uh, the very next day, uh, there might be somebody there watching you at training or, or during a game who will like what they see. Um, and so that should be a constant motivation uh, for you. Um, every training session, um, try and get your mind uh, into a into a space where um, you 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 playing in a trial. You know, there's somebody watching you in the stands. Um, game as well, even more importantly, you know, because um, you never know who comes down to the training ground um, and 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 stay and do a bit extra. Um, Rulani McQuena said something very important. And he said that, you know, um, athletes and people in general spend too much time on social media worrying about other people's lives. And it's important to, to put even more effort in your own life, you know, <laughs> improve yeah. your own life. Yeah. And that means for a footballer, that means for a footballer, spending an extra 15 or 20 minutes after training and working on something uh, that needs to be worked on. Um, so that's that's the best advice that I would give to any young potential professional. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. Thanks, uh, Matthew. And uh, everyone, there you have it. That's 10 questions with Matthew Booth. Uh, please give him a follow on his social media links, which I'll leave below in the description. And uh, Matthew, it's honestly, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I'm a great fan. Uh, I love what you do. And thank you so much for the time. And everything that you've you've given back to the community
No, it's a pleasure, Abdul. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on your progress, man. All the best.